lot of y'all know me from Ghostbusters. I got it. Who you gonna call? I ain't free no Ghostbusters. It makes me feel good. I got all that. But you know, it, it's interesting to me. Do you really think that I just woke up one morning and they just happened to call me and I wrote the song and then I went back to sleep? I mean, I, see, I read so many things and, and I think it's just funny. Like, people think that that's the only thing I've ever done or never did anything. How many instruments do you play? Four altogether. How old are you? 23. When did you start playing an instrument? Uh-oh, about when I was eight years old. What was the first instrument you ever played? The clarinet. Where were you on the night of July 4th, 13th? <laughs> you played with everybody in the world, have you not, at this point, practically? Uh, yeah, just about. Like, name drop for me, quickly. Just roll off 15 names. Diana Ross, Seals and Crofts, uh, Barry White, Stevie Wonder, you know, the Rolling Stones. Stop, stop. <laughs> Well, let me, let me just tell you this. I've got about 29 or 30 really big records. Shaka Khan I wrote for, Barry White, big hits on, Donna Ross, Patti LaBelle, New Edition, uh, my own band Radio, Ray Parker Jr. If you, if you check us out, we got a lot of hits. And, but the main thing I do is play the guitar. And, and I'm musically trained, play with lots and lots of artists. But I just think it's really, really funny that people look at the ghost, they go, who are you going to call? And they think that, I don't know, I just woke up that afternoon and, and just wrote the song and went back to sleep. And by the way, why do you think they called me to write that song in the first place? So I love music. Music is my life. I've been playing the guitar since almost, I can't remember anything before that. So of course there's more to it than just who you going to call. Joining us on Moving Radio today is Fran Strine and also Ray Parker Jr. They are talking to me because we're discussing the brand new documentary. Well, I guess this is a documentary that's had a little bit of history. It should have been at Northwest Fest earlier, but it's finally coming. It's called Who You Gonna Call? It's all about Ray Parker Jr. and his life, and it's playing as part of Northwest Fest. And of course, it is the opening film because it's a big deal. And you can see it on Friday, May 6th at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema, where Ray and Fran are also going to be in attendance for the film at that screening. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great having you both. Um, let's give the audience a little bit of context about this documentary about Ray and his life. Who are you going to call? Uh, it had its roots probably in your last film there, Fran, which Ray was featured as part of and was also the closing night film at uh, Northwest Fest, I think in 2017. Uh, it's called Hired Gun, right? So talk just a little bit about how the seeds of who you're going to call maybe came out of the last film you did. We had the honor of screening it there. When you said, and I think Kenny Aronoff was there in my behalf. You know, the, the film was pretty successful and we brought it around the world. And I would bring Ray with me because he, he puts a lot of uh, fills up the seats. And we went to Australia for a couple of weeks. And on the, on the flight over there, he was telling me more about his rich musical history that I had no idea. You know, I got to interview Ray for maybe two or three hours for Hired Gun. And he'd left out all these other insane stories that I knew nothing about, like, you know, playing with all these legends in Motown to playing with Bill Weathers on Lovely Day and Marvin Gaye and all these guys. And I immediately knew what my next documentary was going to be and hit the ground running and uh, happy to share it with you guys coming up soon. I mean, we'll get into a little bit of that history about Ray too in a second here. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about Ray is that you know, having a documentary like this maybe seems like a really romantic trip around 
memory lane of looking back on your life and reflecting, right? Maybe even celebrating achievements to a certain extent, but there has to be a certain level of trust between you, Ray, and Fran as a director and a producer in doing a film like this, which is uh -oh. looking back at your life, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, what is it about Fran and maybe that relationship that you struck in that, you know, three hour meeting or some of the conversations after what kind of drew you to Fran and knew that he was the right person to do this film for you? Well, I, I have no idea because I'm still trying to figure out about <laughs> Fran. <laughs> but, you know, he wanted to do it and it sound, he sounded like he had some great ideas and I like Tired Gun. And um, so I thought, well, this would be nice to have. And I, I would like to have a documentary out on me, you know, something that for all keepsake for all time that we can have. So I thought it was a wonderful idea. And by the way, I did, he'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't like drive him crazy. I just said, what do you want me to do? And I just did it. And that's it. So the whole project was him putting it together. Oh, we're speaking to Fran Strine and Ray Parker Jr. That's right. The Ray Parker Jr. You all know and love uh, from the Ghostbusters theme and infinitely more than that. Uh, the documentary is called Who You Gonna Call? And it's playing as part of Northwest Fest. It is the opening night film. You can catch it on Friday, May 6th at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. And as an added bonus, not only Fran, but Ray will both be in the house for a post-screening uh, Q&A. So it should be really exciting. I suggest you go check it out on Friday, May 6th. Fran just alluded even a little bit into the history that you have, Ray. And I just want to go back a little bit and talk just a little bit about the significance maybe of Virginia Park in Detroit, where you grew up, and how that kind of shaped the story, not only for you and your life, Ray, because, you know, it's important for you in your formative years and just the proximity to Hitsville, USA uh, is an insane yeah. fact as well. I'm sure for, for Fran, that's like, oh, that's going to help frame the story. So I'd like to ask him about that, but also for you, Ray, maybe what influence Virginia Park and Detroit in general had for you in creating your music and, and the man you became? Well, in my neighborhood, we weren't really able to play sports that much because there was a lot of police violence and a lot of just regular violence. So we didn't really want to come out of the house that much and walk too far around. So that left everybody in my area excited about playing music. And I mean, on my street where I lived in a two family flat home, somebody upstairs, my neighbor upstairs played the drums. My friend down the street played the bass. My friend next door to me played the drums. Another friend down the street played the trumpet. And one across the street played the bass and the one across the street from him played the piano, all in the same block. And it didn't hurt that Motown was only about 12 blocks away that you could walk to if you had to get to it. So, we, so the neighborhood in Detroit, even though it was a factory town and a car town, it was really a musical town at the same time. And so I took up music as a hobby, never once thinking I could do it for a living. I thought I had to get a real job and get an ed education like my father said. But as it turned out, uh, music was such a, a, a good influence on my life and I enjoyed it so much. And I feel so blessed and fortunate to have been able to make a living just playing the guitar. So it's a wonderful thing. You're very humble and you kind of minimize like what that is and and just not only proficiency of the instrument, but your ability to songwrite. I, I feel like it's just, it's gotta be something that was like either osmosis and you're just soaking it up or maybe it's just drive, right? And there's something in you. Did you feel like it was the area you grew up in and maybe being surrounded by all that, all that incredible music? Or did you kind of feel like it was just a personal kind of thing for you that drove you towards writing those songs and, and maybe a feeling that you had, some inspiration you had? 
Well, first of all, Stevie Wonder taught me how to write songs. So I went to a wonderful college. I call it Wonder University. And I worked with Holland Dozier Holland and Smokey Robinson, some of the greatest songwriters of the world. I never thought I'd be a songwriter, but I thought to myself, well, you know, you're working with Marvin Gaye and all of the great writers of the world. Can't you get just a little bit from them? I did you learn? You should have learned a little bit sitting in the studio working with them all that time. And sure enough, a few years later, I started to write my own hit songs, you know, which will. But all of my songs are influenced from all the people that I worked with, all the tricks I learned from them. Let's throw it back to uh, Fran as well there. So Fran, we were just talking a little bit about what maybe you thought was the significance of, uh, you know, Ray's beginnings in Detroit, growing up in Virginia Park. How do you think that kind of, because it's his beginning, how do you think that helped shape the film for you? Well, you know, we, we wound up making a trip to Detroit and in the wintertime, it was freezing. I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, we took a walk down, yeah, we took a walk down memory lane to have Ray just tell his story about what he saw in Virginia Avenue during you know, those riots. And, you know, I've known Ray a really long time now, and he's one of the most happy, positive people I've ever met. And you could see the war-torn look on his face as we, he was telling his story. And it was just so authentic, and it, it hurt me to see him so so sad and reliving those memories. You know, I think for him, you know, not only that incident that happened to him in Detroit and all that stuff, but I think him just sitting in the house playing guitar for those 10,000 hours really honed his rhythm in and the rhythm of Detroit. And we were lucky enough to go to the to, to Hitsville, to Motown, and step on that hollow ground and just kind of uh, soak it all in. And uh, I think that really helped shape that, that part of the movie a lot, which I think the viewers will notice. Yeah, were there ever any moments like that, Ray, where maybe you weren't feeling like, oh, this will be really cathartic and I'm, I'm ready to go through this again? Or did you kind of, you know, look at it as like, oh, I know the film was going to be about me, but this kind of conjured up some things for me that I, I wasn't necessarily prepared to face and that maybe kind of overwhelmed you a bit. Did you feel a little off sometimes uh, in the filming of it? Well, I got to tell you, all my relatives still live in Detroit, so I go there quite often. So for me, it was more of uh, making sure that Fran and the film crew didn't get killed. <laughs> Standing in the wrong <laughs> spot too long. I was really concerned about that. And he'll tell you, that, you know, it was so cold at the time, we were in February, the actual camera battery froze up and we, we couldn't film for a while. And yeah. I think one time Fran wanted to go to the bathroom and I was like, you got to go back downtown to the hotel. You can't stop. There's nowhere for you to stop and use the bathroom. So there's so some trips like that. But I feel that, that sensitivity and that mem the memories and all that stuff, I feel it every time I go there. You know, and it's not something that, at least in, in some of the work that I think with your writing, you're very much incredible at creating hooks, right? Like mm -hmm. even whether it's songs that people might not necessarily know you had something to do with like Mr. Telephone Man, which is just yeah. like, you know, you've got, those guys are out on tour still and singing it as way grown men <laughs> with their own children. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's endearing at those times, but, but yeah. you never really parlayed. It, it felt like for me, at least that kind of trauma or that kind of issue or felt like you tried to work that through in the music. Did you feel like maybe sometimes you wanted to keep it positive and kind of be that person that writes the pop song that's going to alleviate that? Or was that even a consideration for you? Well, absolutely. I'm glad you noticed that because all of my music 
is is never political. It's never too bluesy and down and unhappy. And somebody broke somebody's heart. I like to make songs that make people smile. And you know, for me, Detroit is my favorite city still because so many wonderful, so many crazy things happen there, but so many wonderful things happen there as well. And it really shaped my life and shaped who I am. And so I just feel endearing to it. So I, I go there quite often. I mean, you talked to us a little bit about the cold <laughs> and also uh, the journey there. Uh, I love that you gave us a big uh, part about what it was like growing up there. The film that we're talking about today is called Who Are You Going to Call? We've got On Moving Radio today. Ray Parker Jr. has a subject of the film, but also uh, we have the director as well. It is Fran Strine. He's also the producer as well. And you can catch them on Friday, May 6th as the opening night film for Northwest Fest at the Metro Cinema, where Ray and Fran will be there in person to do a little Q&A post. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be incredibly amazing. Make sure you're there. Fran, was there a shift in shooting style for you between something like this film and uh, Hired Gun? Because you did both with cinematographer Gavin Fisher. So did you have any conversations about how you want to change it tonally or stylistically in any way? You know, with Hired Gun, there were so many subject matters in that film. I think we interviewed like 60 people. And with Ray, we, we filmed that everywhere. We filmed a lot of his house where, you know, he was relaxed. And I think, you know, for me, I really wanted to get Ray to open up and, and be even more himself. So we went to a studio and that's where we did the, the big master interview. And when we did that, I was just, I want to look as cinematic as possible and not look too video so we can really, you know, hone in and feel noticed. Uh, I don't know if you've seen an advanced uh, screening, but, you know, as a director, you want to you want to be able to feel what what the interview subject is, is talking about, and actually soak that in. And for instance, when Ray's talking about getting beat up by the cops, you know, I knew I was going to ask him about that that day. So we lit it a little bit more ominous and dark and sad. And when he tells that story, it still almost brings a tear to my eye when I watch it. Yes and no, because if you're dealing with a talking head, you know, just want to make sure the composition is right, the lighting and everything else. So I guess the advantage was we're just interviewing one person instead of so many different people. So it was it was a lot easier. And this movie was a lot easier to make than Hired Gun. I mean, Ray was just uh, so open. His family was amazing and welcomed me in. You know, I was, I was living in the Bay Area at the time and would travel back and forth. And he opened his home to me and you know, I've had Thanksgivings and Christmases there over the duration of shooting this. And uh, it was just easy. It was fun. And uh, in, a, in a positive note, and what was even funnier was the guy that sound mixed the movie. We did it at Skywalker Ranch, and he had done two really ominous shows. You know, one Netflix show, uh, David Fincher thing called, uh, I think it was True Detective. And it was just gnarly and dark. And they did a one on Roger Ailes, who was the CEO of Fox News, which was also a very dark, ominous movie. And when he saw Ray's movie, he was just, he just lit up. He was like, thank God, man, something positive and uplifting, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. Was that important for you, Ray, is that as much as this friend's movie, it's your life. And we even talked a little bit about how you've kind of parlayed that attitude or that feeling into your career as well, even though you had to deal with a, a lot of different things. Did you feel like that's where you wanted the movie to go as well? Or were you just like, I'm going to give it all over to you, Fran, and I can only control what I say? It's the second one. I'm giving it all over to you, Fran, and I'll see it at the end. 
First of all, I don't know anything about making movies. And uh, when people hire me to produce their records, I certainly wish they shut up and let me do the record like <laughs> what they hired me to do. I mean, I don't want to be that artist that I, I know other people have done it to me. They just keep putting their fingers, keep putting their fingers in it. Then the product doesn't turn out like the, the person who's supposed to be doing it thought it should. And then you have nothing. You have two opinions of nothing. Well, and that speaks a lot to the trust, obviously, that you have with Fran, right, in this process. Uh, did you feel it at the very beginning or you like it just got deeper as we you know, shot every time we met up with them? I think it got deeper as we shot and as it went along. But it really got deeper when I saw the finished product. I thought the finished product was really good. I can't wait till you guys out there see it because I think it turned out really nice. I'd like to jump in and just say this as well. You know, when I say it's a, a happy, fun, positive film, except for maybe the, the police violence that he went through, you have to know I interviewed everyone to raise friends from Stevie Wonder to Ollie Brown to Herbie Hancock, trying to get dirt on Ray. I was like, this guy can't be this clean. And, uh, <laughs> and they had nothing but wonderful things to say about it. I can't get anybody to spill any dirt because there is none. He's just a, a good dude. There you go. He's, he's been living it forever and there's nothing to yeah. dig up there. I'm, no skeletons on Ray. That's let me tell you, let me tell you what the secret to that is. What is it? I never I never did drugs. I never got high. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't do anything where I get a, a sleepless night. Even though people say, man, this is going to be exciting. Y'all do this. I just don't do it. I don't want to be on TMZ for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't want to. So I'm having so much fun in general, just regular, that I just say, just like like Nancy Reagan says, I just say no. Because it's, the other stuff is not that important to me. And I really don't want a, a biography or something to come out with me like this. And then they interview some crazy girl that says, oh, yeah, he did this, this, and this. And there's his baby over there. I don't want to hear all that stuff. So I never lived like that. And so now I, I'm reaping the benefits of not having to deal with any of that. Which is incredibly impressive, Ray. Because, I mean, let's be honest. When you're out front in radio, you're not the only singer in that band. But your namesake, you're writing songs. And they definitely, like, there was this image of, like, you were the smooth operator, right? So I'm sure it was just, like, that could have come your way. And then when you pile on top of that Ghostbusters and how it became such an intense cultural phenomenon that lasted forever, like, that's another really easy pitfall you could have fallen into, where it comes to whatever it would have been behavior wise or money wise. But, you know, I mean, that speaks to you as a, as a person and maybe why people should check out this film as to how you avoided all that. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Fran, that you talked about before with uh, hired gun is that you talked about juggling several stories. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is that, uh, I mean, you said it, it was a much easier thing to do to really focus on one subject specifically. Did you feel like, because as any documentary filmmaker, you have an idea of what your story of the film has to be uh, before you even start rolling. Did you start to find that the more that you were doing interviews about Ray and kind of finding out more about his life, that the focus of what the story was that you wanted to tell changed or did it stay pretty constant from the very beginning? It was pretty constant until George Floyd happened. You know, there's a there's a second part of the movie where we delve into the uh, injustice that's happening. And I, I thought it was pivotal to put that into the film. So that that was one thing that we interjected into there and it fit in there nicely. That's really about it, man. Like a lot of people told me I was crazy for doing a, you know, like you're doing a, a documentary on the Ghostbuster guy. I'm like, no, 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 no. You wait till you hear a story. You know, you'll get it then. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's much more Ghostbusters is really only in the movie for 
five, six minutes. It's mostly about Ray's journey from childhood to, uh, to where he's at today, you know, the Hollywood star walk of fame, you know, and that's what something he dreamed of his whole life. And we went there, you know, it was really, really cool. The, the movie's exactly, almost exactly how I envisioned it, which is, which is really satisfying as a, as a filmmaker. Uh, Ray, you've kind of listed some of the highlights of your career, things that we haven't talked about, Love Orchestra with Barry White. Oh my God, that's an amazing Oh yeah, there. a lot of fun working with Barry White. Very kind uh, guy. So good, and uh, I love that. Look, we didn't even mention an episode of Give Me a Break with Nell Carter that I remember watching as a kid. That was you good times. <laughs> I do, I do. I was yeah. watching it off a Detroit station when I lived up north in, uh, in Alberta. Oscar nomination, like this parade of session work that you did. Was there ever a moment where you kind of felt like you knew in some way that you had arrived or that you were like, this is going to stick forever. Like, this is going to be my life. No, uh, because when you're doing the music, you don't know what it is. You don't know if it's going to work, not work. And you really just do it because you love it. And you're just, everything is an experimentation. So, you know, in my mind, you're never really done. You're never finished. And you never can be cocky enough to say, I've arrived. You arrived where, you know? <laughs> you're like a spaceship floating in space looking for a planet that doesn't exist. And, you know, before we kind of wrap up here, I'd just like to ask both of you clearly because... Uh, audiences haven't been able to gather for the last little while that there was plans to have this film screen a couple of years ago at Northwest Fest. Uh, we finally got both of you to be able to come to the festival and see it. Um, talk to us a little bit about what it means for each one of you to see your films with an audience. I mean, it's great when something like Hired Gun is playing on Netflix and way more people are available to it. But talk to us a little bit about that seeing with an audience and maybe for you Ray specifically how that's different for you uh in a feeling between playing live as a musician and seeing this film about your yourself live with an audience well obviously I like the live thing I love being on the stage and, and interacting with people in the audience and I love hearing myself on the radio and I'm going to say this is very similar to hearing one of my songs on the radio whenever you blow me up to make me a hundred feet tall I mean, there can't be anything bad about that, can it? <laughs> and Fran, how about for you, watching films like this again with uh, with audiences? How does uh, what's that experience for you, and and what do you get out of it? As a as a filmmaker, one of the greatest joys for me is seeing if the movie worked in the places I wanted to, or people laughing where I I would hope they would, or cry, or cheer, or dance, or whatnot. And when those elements hit. I can't describe that feeling to you. It must be like writing a, a song for Ray, you know, like a number one hit song and then sing it in, in, a, in a theater where it belongs. You know, as much as I love the streaming platforms, like you said, because you have such a large audience, there's just nothing like going to a, a communal place like a movie theater and experiencing that with them, right? And the crazy thing is when we did our very first screening in a theater for Who You Gonna Call, it was in Los Angeles at the Arc Like, the next day, L.A. shut down, or all of California really did it was during COVID. That was it. Our movie was the last yeah. movie to play in Los Angeles. And it was crazy. And it was just a one, and I got a high off of it because so many people, you know, a lot of the stars of the film were there. Holland Dozier Holland was there. Um, you know, Ollie Brown, all of Ray's friends and family and my friends and family. And it was just uh, overwhelming to see it and get that reaction and it just stopped. And then it was just sad. And then the movie just sat there for a while because uh, nobody knew what was going to happen. 
you know, and, and here we are today and we're thrilled to be coming to Edmonton and, and share this with everyone. Brand, this is your opportunity to be truly shameless and let people know out there who want to see the film, maybe how they can connect <laughs> with who you're going to call on social media, because Ray's music is easy to find. It's everywhere. It's yeah. uh, it's proliferates every, it, it, you can't escape a Halloween without hearing Ray. That's for sure. <laughs> much much yeah. less, much less yeah. everything else he does. You know, for me personally, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just at Fran Strine. And we have an Instagram page for who you're going to call and a Facebook page for who you're going to call. So if you just go uh, search those, you'll find them, follow us, and you'll see the journey the rest of the way through. All right, Ray, I don't want to leave you out. If you want to be shameless, you can be too. It's up to you. Type in Ray Parker Jr. You find it on Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Snapchat. It's on everything. And so it's right. just my name. So I've been very fortunate to be able to use my own name. I love it. Fran Strine, director and producer, as well as the subject of the film. Who are you going to call? Of course, it's Ray Parker Jr., the legend. They are going to be in town as part of the screening of that documentary on Friday, May 6th at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. It is the opening night film of Northwest Fest. you got to come out and see this in person. It is an event. What a great way to kick off the in-person festival again for Northwest Fest. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Ray, thank you so much for the memories and the music, and I can't wait to hear even more because I'm sure you are not done with music at all. Uh, not even close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't sleep on Ray. He's got more. He's got more. Yeah. So, uh, gentlemen, hope to see you at the screening as well, and thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you.